What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this morning as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, Pastor Phil, he's getting a little R&R. He's coming off of a vacation, and Brother Much needed the vacation, right? I don't know if you were here last weekend, but we did this kind of weekend conference thing that we called Revival, and Pastor Phil did what I like to call shuck the corn. Uh, Brother, preach the house down, all right? And and so we're just grateful that he's getting some R&R, and he was up here with big anacondas and dogs and exercise bikes. It was crazy. Crazy, and God moved, and we were asking God to perpetuate that movement that was a catalyst for so many people. And we are continuing this series in First Peter that we took a break from, and, and here's kind of where we've been over the last couple of months together. As we've looked in First Peter, Peter has equipped us to, to really have a, a lesson on humility, which is so important because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and I'm all, I'm all in favor of more grace, amen? And so he gives grace to the humble, and what Peter has helped us understand is that there are gonna be times where, we're, where, where we are gonna go through some trials. Like here's what we said is that everyone is either headed into a trial, coming from a trial, or you're right in the middle of a trial. And you're gonna to need to know what does it look like for us to honor God in the midst of trials. Then he says, sometimes you're gonna feel like a foreigner. You're gonna feel like, you know, like, do I even fit into this world because you're a follower of Jesus? And he says, this is what you do. This is what it looks like for you to be a, a people that are, that are set apart, that are holy. That means set apart. And, and then he took a turn. He said, this is what it looks like for you to be humble in the midst of your relationships. That there are relationships that mark all of our life. And when it gets tense in life, sometimes it's difficult to know how to handle your relationships at the office in your marriage or just in life in general. And then in this final section of 1 Peter that we're in this morning, he turns a corner and he starts talking about suffering. And what does it look like for you to honor God in the midst of suffering? Now, before we get into the text, uh, any Chiefs fans? Yeah, all right, good, good. Praise God they played on Friday, not today. Y'all wouldn't be here. Anyway, so we're glad you're here, and, uh, and it, it is football season, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I love coming to Abundant Life, and we have some, we have some celebrities at Abundant Life, and one of them is this Hall of Fame Chiefs person, right? And so this guy's been a part of the Chiefs organization, and, and here he is right here, it's Casey Wolf. He goes to our church, and uh, we, we love that we have Casey Wolf in our church. And I don't know if you know much about Casey Wolf, but he's kind of a big deal in the mascot world. He's like the first ever Hall of Famer. He's been with the Chiefs for a long time. He's, he, he's been there rooting them on when they weren't so good. You know, he made the lows better, and he made the highs higher, you know, and that sort of thing. And now I want you to imagine that as good as a, a, a mascot that Casey Wolf is, I mean, he's Hall of Fame mascot. It, it'd be weird if Friday we looked at the game, and, and uh, you saw, like, uh, the, the camera cut over, and you saw Casey Casey Wolf with Coach Reed. And he's like, you know, like with Big Red. And he's like telling him, not, 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 not that play, this play, you know. And, and he's trying to tell the coach how to run the plays. You're like, bro, you're the mascot. Go do like a little hip swing thing with the crazy eyes, you know. You go do that. And, uh, and then, then he cut over to the next play. And he's like on a knee. And he's looking at Mahomes in the eye. And he's like, bro, you got four plays this whole game. I need you to lock it in, right? It's preseason. Anyway, so he, he's like coaching up Mahomes. And, and, and you would be like, well, you're the mascot, man. You're, you're, you're not supposed to be I'm telling Coach Reed the plays to call. You're not supposed to be coaching the athletes. You, need, you, you are relinquished to the sideline, and you're supposed to help invigorate the audience and help us believe that we're going to win. You know, that's your job. Your job isn't to inform what actually happens on the field. And it would be weird if, even though he's a Hall of Fame mascot and he's been with the Chiefs for a long time, if he was trying to do those sort of things. Because mascots don't call the shots, Right? And the reason why I start there this morning is because we have a crisis in the church today. And the crisis is this, is that we see Jesus as a mascot. 
And here's how it plays out functionally. We'll come to places like this and we'll sing songs to Jesus and we'll celebrate Jesus and the victory and all of our hope is found in him. And he's kind of the person that we pull out here and we, we rally around and he fires us all up. But then we head into Monday and we're calling the shots. That the thought of, for some of us, of Jesus actually leaning over our shoulder and saying, no, you, you run that play, not this play. This is the strategy on how you honor me. No, 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 and, and the thought of us, you know, you know, Jesus grabbing us by the face mask and saying, no, 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 you speak to your husband this way, not, not that way. You, you honor your sex life this way, not that way. For most of us, we just wanna relinquish Jesus to the sideline of our life. And we're okay coming into spaces like this and putting together chants and cheers and singing songs to him. But when it comes to Monday through Saturday, he's really not informing much of our life. Now, I think this works for a lot of us when life is going good. Like we'll come in here, Sunday best, everything's good. And, and you know, and you're good with singing songs to Jesus and him kind of, you know, having like a, a pep rally, if you will, and, and, and then headed out and you're crushing life and you're winning in life and everything's good and you're okay with this type of relationship between you and Jesus. But when life gets difficult and you're losing at life, you don't have time for a mascot. You need, a, you need a coach. You, you, you need somebody that's, that's got strategy. You, you need a leader. And when life gets difficult, you don't need a mascot, you need a monarch. In life, it has a way of hitting us, right? Like, like for some of us, we've come in here and, and, and you are the engineer of your own disaster, right? Like you, you're the one, like, like you've got some issues that you've brought in here and you're like, you know what, I'm to blame. And then others of us, we've come in here and there are things happening in our life and we never even saw these things. And life has a way of dishing out disappointments. And life has a way of dishing us things that cause us to lose in life. And maybe it's pain for you. And you can't remember a day that you've lived without that headache or without that pain. Maybe it's just a, a, a plethora of problems that you've brought in here. And it just seems like getting up was such a hard thing to do because there's so many problems happening in your life. Maybe it's just the pandemic. And this resurgence and this new thing, maybe it's hit your world in a new way that it didn't hit the first time. And you've gotten the text messages and you've gotten the calls of people in the hospital. Maybe you've been in the hospital. Or maybe it's just you really wrestling with the persecution that's happening in our world right now in a new way. And when we're suffering, we don't need a mascot, we need a monarch, we need a king, we need a God that is supreme over all of our life. And I'm here to tell you that the word of God does not present Jesus as some little mascot that just parades out from time to time and we rally around, but rather the word of God presents God and Jesus time and time again as the king of the universe, as the heavyweight champion of the universe, as the one that reigns supreme, that Jesus, it says that every knee's gonna bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord and he's the Lord of Lords. He reigns supreme over all suffering, over all sicknesses, over all sin in the world, and he's gonna return someday, bring restoration to everything that's been in decay and bring righteousness. But we're not there yet. We cling on to this hope that seems oftentimes in the distant future, especially when we're in a season of suffering. And when we're in a season of suffering, what are we supposed to do? If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, What to Do When You Suffer. 
what to do when you suffer. And I wanna give you four things from God's word that are gonna help you be able to navigate suffering. One is that you've gotta remember the gospel. The second is you gotta relish the victory. The third is that you gotta respond to the rescue. And fourthly, before we leave this morning, we're gonna rejoice in Jesus. Peter, again, he's writing to this group of people that have been dispersed because persecution has hit their church. And so outsiders have come in and basically said, hey, you can't tell people about Jesus. You can't gather and sing songs or else it's not gonna end well for you. And so that's what's happening in the church that Peter's writing to. And he's given this master class on humility in the midst of hard times. And his people are going through the ringer, y'all. They're going through some difficult times. And the difficult times that they're going through are really not self-induced. They're from the outside. And, and what happens oftentimes when, when, when you can't really put your finger on why you're suffering and it just kind of comes out of nowhere, you'll have this tendency to go, God, what are you doing? Why? Why, God? Why would you do this? And Peter's trying to help equip the church with a pathway to be able to navigate their suffering. And he's reminding them of what's really going on and who's really in charge. And the theme of this section of God's word is how can we suffer for the sake of the gospel in a way that'll bring glory to God. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the biblical authors, some will write linear, and they'll kind of say, you're gonna start here, and we're gonna kind of build logic upon logic upon logic. But what's common with an Hebrew uh, um, authorship is that they'll write circular. And so what Peter will say is like, I know that you're going through some trials, you need to remember the gospel. I know that you feel like a foreigner at times, you need to remember the gospel. I know that you have some relationships that are difficult, you need to remember the gospel. I know that you're going through suffering, you need to remember the gospel. And so he circles the gospel all throughout his letter because the gospel is the motivation by which we navigate Christianity. And he's reminding his audience of the gospel because here's what you need to know. You never graduate from the gospel. You, you, you never get over this thing. That the gospel, we see it here in the text, that Christ, he suffered once for sins. The just suffered for the unjust. It's what some theologians call the, the great exchange, that we get, we get Christ's righteousness and he gets our sin. He kind of got the short end of the deal. Anyway, and so we exchange these sort of things and that we have been brought to God through the work of Jesus. And this is the good news, that you can be right with God this morning, that you don't have to pay for your sin if you trust Christ, that you can be brought to God and this is the gospel. And we have to remember the gospel, that the gospel is not just the doorway into Christianity, it's the pathway, y'all. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. And we never graduate the gospel. The power that saved you from your sin is the power that sustains you through your suffering. I'll counsel people oftentimes, they'll come up here and they'll share with me, this is what's going on in my life and this is what I'm struggling with. And the number one question I ask them is, what is the gospel? And they're like, no, no, I, I don't need the gospel right now. I need, like, I need some help on like three ways to get better in this area. And, and I'll say, no, 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 you need to know the gospel because the gospel is the thing by which we filter everything through. The gospel is the thing what, what, that we've got to preach to our heart, be reminded of because the gospel, it gives us our identity. And, and, and so there'll be people that are like, man, I'm struggling with this in my sex life or I'm struggling with this addiction or I'm struggling with this baggage from all of this past and I just feel guilty and I feel shame. How do I get over that? I'm like, you got to know the gospel because the gospel helps you understand that you are worse than you really want to admit, but you're more loved than you could have ever have imagined. 
in the, in the God, he says that, 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 that the cross, it covers the payment of your sin and it separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. And you don't have to be marked by shame anymore. That the gospel says shame has no place in your life. And you gotta be reminded of that. That the gospel, it, it gives you energy to be able to live the, the way of Christ. Somebody come, they'll counsel, they'll be like, you know, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time uh, forgiving this person. And I'm sure with bitterness here. And I'm like, oh, what's the gospel? I'm like, no, no, tell me how do I forgive that person? I'm like, you've got to know the gospel because the gospel gives you the energy to forgive because you see Jesus forgiving the world. And we've got to be reminded of the gospel. And you never graduate from the gospel. And so Peter, he's saying, if you're suffering, man, you've got to remember your Savior. I don't know how people make it in this life apart from Jesus. Can I get a witness up in here? I don't know how people make it in this life apart from Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, don't, I don't know how you, how you do this thing. Like, like when I share my story, I'm like, man, my life would be crazy er, if I didn't have Jesus, you know? You know what I'm saying? I, I, mean, I would be, no telling what I would be into. No telling what I would have ran to in my seasons of suffering. No telling what I would have ran to in my seasons of celebration to try to find, you know, more accolation. And no, no telling what I would have ran to in my seasons of suffering to find consolation, but I ran to Christ and he has directed my life. I don't know how people make it without Jesus because if you don't have Jesus, who you got? Jack, Jack Daniels, Jose. That's what my dad had. And I don't know how people, especially when suffering hits, how they make it without Jesus. Because the gospel and Jesus, he gives you two things from this text. He gives you his presence and he gives you his power. It says that Christ also suffered. We're not serving a God that's kind of aloof from the plight of mankind. It says in the scriptures that Jesus was tempted and he suffered in every way so he's fully able to help those who are being tempted. It tells us that God put on a bod and he walked this earth and it was difficult for him and that he suffered and that he died. And the greatest foe that you and I can go to sin and death, Jesus endured them. And so here's what that means is that he understands what it's like and he is not aloof, but rather he's present in the midst of our suffering. Peter said he also suffered, and then later on he says that he was put to death in the flesh, that Jesus suffered in every, in every way. Only in Christianity do you have a God that enters the pain of mankind. I was talking with a, a girl this last week, and she was seeking counsel, and, and she was like, man, my life is falling apart. This is what's happening, and it was, it was bad, it was, you know, it was, and I was, I was sorry for her. And I said this, I said, look, God's not going to explain away your suffering, but only in Christ and only through the gospel will he enter in and be present with you? That the gospel, it's the gateway that gives you the presence of God, but it also gives you the power of God. Peter said that Jesus, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the spirit. What he's saying is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus wasn't dominated by death, but Jesus, he triumphed over the suffering. The, over the suffering. And this is the solidarity that we need in the midst of our suffering, that we're not alone and that we're not without hope. And again, the gospel, it unlocks the presence and the power of God. And I love this, that we get the power of God in the midst of our suffering, because what one theologian said is that death, it used to be an ex executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Don't you love that? That when you put your faith in Christ, death, the thing that's supposed to destroy you actually serves to promote you. And that this is the victory that we have in the gospel, the death that's already done its worst to Jesus and he triumphed. So anyone that hitches their wagon to Jesus and they place their life and death in his hands has nothing to worry about. That only Jesus offers assurance 
of hope in the face of death. Only Jesus offers support in the midst of your suffering. And again, the gospel, it's the gateway that unlocks the presence and the power of God in your life. Have you graduated from the gospel? If you have, you need to re-enroll. Re because class is in session and we never graduate from the gospel. Now, I love that we're reading Peter because Peter was one of Jesus' boys. Like they did life together and Jesus and Peter, they got to spend a lot of time with each other. And Peter, now he's, he's later on in his life and he hadn't been with Jesus in body in, in a while, but there were lots of things that they got to do together. And no doubt when, when Peter was hanging out with Jesus, this, this question had to come up because Peter had seen Jesus do all the stuff, the three years of ministry, and then you know, he knew that he died. And, and then he, Jesus rose from the grave and for 40 days they were hanging out with some, a lot of different people. And, and, and Peter, probably they were around the campfire eating some fish and, and they were talking like, you know, asking questions. And, and, and I'm sure that Peter would have been like, all right, Jesus, so, so you died on the cross. Jesus was like, yeah. And, and then three days later, you rose from the grave. Okay, yeah, yeah, that happened. And I'm sure Peter was like, so what'd you do in the 72 hours in between? Like the three days, like, so you were in the grave. He's like, yeah, my body was in the grave. But were you in, the, where, where were you? Like, he's like, well, check it. My body was in the grave, but my spirit was alive. Okay, but where were, what were you doing? What, what, what was going on? And Jesus was like, oh, Peter, that's easy. I was doing prison ministry. Let me explain. <laughs> and so, the reason why I say that is because Peter, he says this about Jesus in verse 19. He says, by whom also he went and he preached to the spirits in prison, prison ministry. And he links it to the days of Noah. He says, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long sufferer waited in the days of Noah. Now, when you study the Bible line by line, it forces you to talk about Bible verses that you would kind of just like, let's just go to something that's a little bit more clear. And this is one of those verses that's a little bit complex. Martin Luther, a great reformer, great theologian, really smart guy, he said this about this verse. He said, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty what, just what Peter means. So I'm just asking for a little grace from y'all, all right? And so if I, I'm gonna splice this and dice this, and I think we're gonna find a conclusion that we can all stand on confidently, but it is a little bit dicey. And I want you to know that you got this idea of Jesus and the Spirit. He's preaching to these, these prisons in the Spirit. And, and like this is like some of y'all like, man, this is kind of out there. But listen, the foundation of Christianity, I'm just going to help you. The foundation of Christianity is built upon supernatural building blocks. All right? This is a supernatural book that we believe that God sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life supernaturally, to die brutally on a cross, and then three days later to be like, What's up? I'm not even bleeding anymore. And this is, this is the foundation of our faith. This isn't some like weird, like, I don't know if that really happened type thing. The foundation is built upon supernatural building blocks. And so when we read supernatural things in the Bible, it shouldn't be a surprise, all right? And some of us, we need to put a little more super in our natural, all right? And we need to understand that this book and this story of Jesus is something that is complex at times. And here is one of those complexities. And we shouldn't shudder at the supernatural, but we should seek to understand what this means for us. And so let's jump in. It says this, that Jesus, he went he went to the spirits, or he went and preached. Ephesians 4, 9 says that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. And so some people believe that Jesus had to go to hell to suffer some more. And this is not what we find here. And they'll use this verse as kind of some proof for that. But Jesus didn't have to like die on the cross and then go to hell and die some more. All right, that's not how it works. On the cross, Jesus said, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. And he paid for all of the sin at that time. He didn't have to go suffer some more in hell. And so it tells us in Ephesians 4, 9, and 
a cross-reference with 1 Peter 3 that Jesus went to this place. Well, where did he go? He descended into the lower parts of the earth and then he preached. Now, an interesting distinction that we need to make here is the word that Peter used for preach because some people will use this verse and they'll say, well, Jesus went to a place called purgatory and he's preaching to people who hadn't yet heard the gospel and so they, or they are kind of getting a second chance. And so he went to this place and he preached to those people and gave them a second chance. So when you die, you really don't die, but you go to this place and you have a second chance and so you can live however you want to live now. Now, we could get there if Peter would have used the word euangelizo for preach. Because the word euangelizo for preach, it literally means to preach the gospel. And so if Jesus, if Peter's saying that Jesus went to this place and he preached the gospel, maybe there is a purgatory. But that's not the word Peter used. Instead, he used the word not euangelizo, but he used the word caruso. And the word caruso is that you herald a victorious message. It's like this, that you're saying that Jesus won. You know, that's kind of the idea that he carusoed. And so Peter's saying he didn't go there to euangelizo, but he went there to caruso. And so there's not this idea that we have like a second death in purgatory. The Bible's very clear. Hebrews 9.27 says that you are, every man is appointed once to die and then to be judged. This is real time in this life. We don't get a second chance, y'all. And so Peter's saying that Jesus, he went to this place and he preached and he preached to the spirits. Now, who are the spirits? Because some people would say, well, these spirits are people. But Peter, he links this story to this wild story in Genesis chapter six about Noah. And what's going on with Noah, real quick, is that you have these doubly disobedient demons. And what happened is that they followed Satan, they fell to the earth, but they're still under the authority of God. And God told them, hey, you can't be swiping right on the dating apps with the girls, all right? But they did, and it says the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, and these, this giant, oh, it's Nephilim anyway, and so that's what happened. And so God, he put them in a prison. And the word spirits in the New Testament, and it always refers to non-human spiritual beings unless qualified. And so again, look, track with me, Peter, it's saying that Jesus, he went and he carusoed, he preached to the spirits that were in prison. Prison's this unique word to describe the place for disobedient angels. Prison is never used to describe human spirits. And so this is not a place where people are dwelling. Maybe you're real clear with that. And the reason I get that is because 2 Peter 2, 4 says this, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Jude 1, 6 says this, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. That Peter's saying that what Jesus did is that he went and he declared his dominance to the demons. He went to this place and he said, y'all thought that y'all had me? Y'all thought that y'all had me beat? Y'all thought that y'all constructed a, a system that was gonna crucify the son of God? How do you like me now? I'm alive, my spirit's alive, and you never had one ounce of a chance to win. That I am victorious. And Peter is reminding this church, what I wanna remind y'all, point number two, that you've got to relish in the victory. You've got to relish in the victory. Again, Peter's helping his audience to be reminded that Jesus is supreme over all things and that he has won the victory. And this truth to those who are suffering is stupendous. 
that suffering has this way for you, uh, suffering has this way in our life that where you begin to doubt whether or not God is good. You, you begin to doubt because everything's evil all around you. You begin to doubt whether or not God is victorious. And what Peter's trying to say is, I know it's hard out there, y'all. I know that it's difficult, but you need to be reminded that Jesus descended to the darkest of dark and he declared his dominance over the darkest of doubly disobedient demons. That Jesus is victorious over every ounce of evil. That Jesus descended into this place to declare his dominance. Make no mistake, I'm the monarch of the universe and evil will not reign. And we've got to have this truth because what do you tell an Afghan church? What do you tell an Iranian church? What do you tell a church that's being persecuted and being in prison because they got the Bible app on their phone? What do you tell people that are going through the ringer what do we say to our Afghani brothers and sisters in Christ? We say something like this. I can't imagine what you're going through, but look at me, Jesus wins. And that they may do their worst to you, but because you know Christ, what was once your executioner will now be your gardener. And evil may seem like it's prevailing but make no mistake, Jesus is supreme. And when we suffer the Bible, it creates space for us to be sad. It's okay to lament, it's okay to shed tears, it's okay to be upset. But the Bible says that you are not to be sad like the world is sad. You are not to grieve like the world grieves. You are to grieve as one that has hope because if Jesus defeated death and it's caused sin, then anyone who believes in him can claim his promise and experience his salvation that when you've trusted Christ, you've boarded the ferry that's gonna carry you through suffering and even death and deliver you safe on the other side. That Christ is dominant over all and that we have to relish in the fact that he is victorious. Somebody need to be reminded of that this morning. You walked in here, life's got you toe up from the flow up, right? You've come in here and you are beat down. Maybe you're watching online because you couldn't make it here in person because there's been some things that have unfolded in your life that you never wanted to happen. And we have this tendency oftentimes when life gets lifey to get a little gloomy and it gets foggy in our mind and we can't see clearly what's going on. And Peter has written to remind this audience that when life gets difficult and you're in the darkness of suffering, you need to remember that Jesus is victorious. That death doesn't have the final answer in Christ. That you may have come in here in a straight jacket of sin, but if you know Christ, sin doesn't have to win over your life. That when you've hitched your wagon to Christ, you now become more than a conqueror in Christ. That what it says in the word of God, that no weapon formed against you will prosper because you are safely in the hands of Christ. What it says about Jesus in other places of the New Testament, it says in Colossians 2.15, that Jesus having disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. First Peter, he's gonna go on and say this, that Jesus has has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers haven't been made subject to him. What the Bible's saying over and over and over is for you to get the right size of God, that he's not some mascot, but he's a monarch and that he is supreme, that he's the king and that he is reigning over all. And that Jesus, he declared his dominance over the demons. And some of you have come in here this morning and you're dancing with some demons. And you need to allow the same God that descended into the belly of the earth to say, I am victorious. 
to descend into your life and declare his dominance over the demons that you're facing. We've been singing this song in the Glover household. It's a song by Anthony Brown called, I Got That. If you don't know this song, you got to get this song. And it goes like this, I got that V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. I got no reason to fear. I got Jesus on my side. Hey, hey. And some of us need to reclaim that song. I got that V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. I got no reason to fear because I got Jesus on my side. And Peter, he's given his audience a right view of Jesus. Jesus is not dead on a cross, y'all. Jesus is not tucked away in a grave. Jesus is not alive walking this planet. Jesus is reigning supreme at the right hand of the, of the Father. He is king. And he's not passive towards the problems of the world, but he's victorious. He reigns and he is King Jesus. Are you living in light of that victory? And if you're not, let me help shine the light on the king of the universe. Peter, he goes on and he says this. He's talking about the spirits that Jesus preached to. He said that they were formerly, they were disobedient when once the divine long sufferer waited in, in the days of Noah. He says, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And he says this, there is also an antitype, or some of your translations say it, you know, correspondingly, so in light of that story, he says there's also an antitype which now saves us and it's baptism. And he gives a clarification. He says not the removal of the filth of the flesh. He's not saying it's not the waters and, and you know, you, it's not the water that saves you. He says, but the answer, some of y'all's translations say a pledge, a promise. It's, it's your pledge to God of a good conscience towards God. He says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have Peter here and he's likening Noah and the flood and the ark to Jesus and the experience that we have with Jesus. That he's saying that there was a rescue plan that took place in this, in, in this encounter with Noah and there's a greater rescue plan that has taken place in Christ. Point number three, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down, I want you to respond to the rescue. Respond to the rescue. Again, Peter, he's calling people to put their faith in Jesus and he's using the story of Noah. Now, when we read the life of, when we read the, the letters of Peter, what we see is that there's this uh, prominent Old Testament figure that he likes to refer to. Out of all the Old Testament people, he, he'll come to Noah from time to time. And, and we see here that he's using Noah as a, as a sermon illustration, if you will. And, he, and he's trying to help people understand like just the way everything happened with Noah, that's how it happens with Jesus. I don't know if you know much about the story of Noah, but my family and I, we got to go to the Ark Encounter. This is like around Cincinnati area. And, uh, and the, the, the Ark looks small back there, but make no mistake, that, that thing is ginormous, all right? And it's a giant like cruise, like wooden cruise ship out there in the middle of nowhere. And so anyway, we went out here and, and this is me and my crew, my daughters and my wife. And, and, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to go here to really help our, teach our kids about some of the marvels of the, of the Bible. And, and man, we got this place within 10 hours drive. We're gonna go out there and we're gonna try to just tattoo on their mind that what we believe is legit and it's amazing. And this is an incredible faith building thing. And so if you, if you don't know much about Noah and the ark, what happened is that uh, mankind basically just kind of went off the rails. And, uh, and it says in, in the book of Genesis that the way we were living, it made God sad. Side notes, some of y'all are doing things that make God sad. And so God, he, when he gets sad, I think he's sad because he's like, man, these are people that I love, but I'm a God of justice. 
And so the scenario, what happens here is he's like, I, I'm, gonna hit, I'm gonna hit reset and, and I'm gonna wash the wickedness from the planet earth. And so he's like, I'm gonna hit reset and so we're gonna have a remnant, Noah and his family. And he calls Noah to build this ark. And for 120 years, think about that. And some of y'all wanna retire early. <laughs> 120 years, he's building this ark, all right? And all the while he's building the ark, it tells us that he's also a preacher of righteousness. And so Noah, he builds this ark, he loads his family and animals, animals into the ark, and then a flood comes, and it's a flood of God's judgment, literally. And the only ones that are saved are Noah, because they made a decision to board the ark. They were saved from the waters of judgment. And Peter's using that story as a backdrop and he's saying this, that you need to respond to the rescue that has been provided in order to avoid the wrath of God's judgment. Peter's saying that if you wanna escape the judgment of God, you've gotta get in the ark that is Christ. And it's the ark of salvation. Make no mistake here, all right? Peter's not saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved. If he was saying that, I know it kind of reads like that at first, but if he was saying that, he would say that over and over in other places when he's talking about how you can have a right relationship with God. No, he's using baptism as an example by which we, uh, we do this public expression of an inward commitment to Christ. And again, he clarifies, he's like, the baptism, not the removal of flesh or filth from your flesh. And he's not linking baptism to salvation elsewhere. And he's saying, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but if you are saved, why wouldn't you be baptized? That baptism is the equivalent to boarding the boat. It's the outward expression of you saying, I'm responding to the rescue of God. Have you done that? Have you been baptized? If you claim to know Christ, but you haven't been baptized, why not? Baptism is this data point that we can point back to, and I love baptism because you remember when you, when you get dumped, you know? Like, that's a memorable thing. You know, there's water there. Hopefully it's warm. You're wearing clothes, hopefully, and you get dunked, right? And then you come out of the water, and you remember that. That's a data point, right? And you remember this, and, it, and it's a data point for you to go, I, I made a decision to board the ark of Christ. I made a decision that I was gonna be buried with Christ in these waters, these waters of judgment now, and I'm gonna race to walk in a newness of life. Have you done that? And if you haven't, what are you waiting on? I think about like Noah building this ark for 120 years and then preaching on the side, you know, and like, so he's, he's literally, you know, putting together this amazing object lesson, and then, and then if that's not enough, if he's not living the sermon enough, he goes out and he tells people what he's doing. And I think about all the different types of responses that Noah could have received from people. No doubt he had a minority that was like, bro, you crazy. No, don't tell me any more about this. There ain't gonna be no flood, it's, it's, no. And, and then he probably had another minority that was like, you're right, I, I need to get on the ark. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that when I get married. I'll do that when I have kids but you're right, I believe you. I can, I can smell the rain, you know? Probably had that minority. But more than likely, the majority of the people that he told that this was gonna happen, they were probably like, okay, well, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. He's like, there's not gonna be a bridge, all right? And, and, and they're like, well, you know, I don't really need this right now. Life's pretty good. I could probably swim. I'll be fine. And they probably weren't against him. They probably weren't for him. They were probably just kind of like, eh. And the reason why I think there was those categories of people in response to Noah and the flood is because those are the categories of people 
that when I share about how they can have a right relationship with Christ, that this is how they respond. Some will say, hey man, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, but no thanks, you know, crazy, you know, believe in Jesus and resurrection and a horse and stuff, whatever. You know, and then there's another minority that's like, yes, I need to follow Jesus, but I'll do that later. When I have kids, when I get married, when, when and then, you know, and then the majority of people that I've shared my faith with, they're kind of like, man, that's good, but you know, I just don't need God right now. I just, I mean, life's good. And they're just kind of indifferent. I wonder if you were in the time of Noah and Noah was telling you to board the ark, what would you have done? We're in the days of Noah today. And the people in Noah's age, they had never seen rain. But can't you see the storm on the horizon, y'all? Can't you smell the rain of wickedness that's having its way in our world today? Can't you see that Jesus is returning, that things are getting tumultuous? Can't you see that there's waters coming? And many of you, you've come here and you've thought, you know what, I'll do that later. Many of you have come in here, you know what, I'm just, I'm good, I don't need that right now. And none of us are planning on dying. Like you didn't get your Steve Covey plan around, like you know I'm gonna die on Wednesday. Seems like a good day, right? None of us are planning on suffering. Death and suffering are always a surprise, aren't they? Like a flood in a desert. We don't see it coming. And there is an ark that is open, not to just eight souls, y'all. There's an ark and his name is Christ. And he says, there is plenty of room. You board this thing while there's time. And if you haven't responded to the rescue of Christ, what are you waiting on? Me and this guy, Dan Stiegler, he's our singles director. We, we hopped in an Uber this week and Dan began to share the gospel with this guy, this driver, a captive audience, you know, and he starts sharing his faith with him. And well, the driver says this, well, thanks for sharing, but I really don't believe that there's an afterlife. And I wanna be like, hey man, pull over, pull over. Come on, man. You mean to tell me you think this is all we got? And if you're here and you believe that, more than likely you're having to silence your conscience because it is innate in the human experience to look up at the stars and go, I think I'm made for something more. And that we all deep down inside know that there's something more out there. And what I found is that people like this guy, they, they don't wanna admit that there's another life because if they admit there's another life, then they have to admit there's a God. If they admit that there's a God, then they have to admit that there's a truth. If they admit that there's a truth, they gotta admit that they are wrong. If they admit that they are wrong, they gotta admit that they're accountable. If they admit that they're accountable, they gotta admit that they're guilty before God. And if you're here and you don't believe that there's nothing beyond this life, come on, man. I think you know better. And there's an ark, there is a rescue. And if you're going through suffering, what else you got? What are you gonna run to? And so Peter's writing to this audience and he's like, remember the gospel, relish the victory. And if you haven't responded, there's still time, but no one's promised tomorrow. So if you haven't responded to the rescue of God's grace, 
Come on. Today would be the day. Peter, he finishes the section and he reminds us of really the glory of God. And here's what he says in verse 22. He says about Jesus that he's gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. I love verses like this. Jesus ain't no punk, man. I love it. Anyway, so I love this because Peter's reminding them of where Jesus is. One of the most neglected holidays in the church is the day of ascension. You know, we'd be celebrating Christmas, right? Hobby Lobby and Mardell's already got us going, right? And, and we celebrate that. We're all excited. We celebrate Easter, the new dress and the flowers and the white suit, all that stuff. We, maybe that's in the South. Anyway, we celebrate Easter. We do that sort of thing. But then the day of ascension, we just kind of yawn through that. But the day of ascension, that's the day that's marked on our calendar. It was May 16th last year where we remember that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father that we remember that all things were made for him, by him, and through him, and by him, all things are held together. This is the day that we remember that he is the king, that he is reigning supreme over all. And this is the day that stirs up in our heart to rejoice in Jesus's victory. And point number four, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, I wanna invite you to rejoice in Jesus's victory. Peter's saying that in the midst of your suffering, you gotta remember that Jesus is supreme, that he's reigning in victory, and so don't let your heart be troubled, but rejoice. And that's what I wanna do this morning. So many of us are suffering and songs allow us to time travel. That's why some of y'all hear an 80s song and you back in the 80s, you know, just time travel back in the 80s, right? You remember exactly where you were, what you were doing, you know, that stuff. But songs, they also allow us to time travel in the future. And one of the reasons why we sing songs in church is because it helps align our heart with where we're headed. And this morning we're gonna sing a song. But what I wanna do first is I wanna invite everyone just to stand up right now. On every campus, stand up. And I want you to close your eyes once you've stood up. And I wanna provoke your imagination for just a second. Everyone stand up, close your eyes. I want you to imagine that we're standing on the clouds. We're standing on the clouds, can you see them? Now we're approaching a giant castle, like a heavenly castle. And this castle, man, it is more glorious and greater than, you've, than anything you've ever seen, any picture of anything you've ever seen. And now we're walking across this drawbridge, just like creosote, big timbers, and it's over this moat. And we're walking into this castle. Now we're in the courtyard of the castle. And you're looking around and there's kind of a buzz amongst the people. And it's like a coronation, you know, everyone's excited. It's beautiful, there's flowers. And I'm waving at you, come on, let's go to the front door. And we approach the door and it's a grand door, beautiful door and it swings open. Now we're walking up the steps into this castle. We've just crossed the threshold. We're standing on this red plush carpet that's a runner because we're standing at the beginning of a great banquet hall. And we're looking around and you see the mosaics on the ceiling and you see the hand fashioned columns. And I wave to you, come on, let's walk. We slowly start walking down this red runner and you see that we're headed to a throne. And as you catch sight of the throne, you see that there's one sitting on the throne who you can't even really explain and all of a sudden you feel intimidated and secure. 
all of a sudden you feel frightened and accepted. And radiating from this one sitting on the throne is glory that makes the sun look dull. And you hear music begin to stir all around you. And you can tell that there's a song that's getting ready to be played, maybe a song you've never sung. And in that moment, when you get prompted to sing to this glorious one enthroned, what will you say?
Man, I hope you can sing that with integrity. And maybe if you're going through suffering, I just wanna remind you of something that has spoken to my heart so many times, that if you're going through the ringer, just be reminded that if you know Christ, this is the only hell you have to experience. But there's always a caution tagged to that statement that if you don't know Christ, this is the only heaven that you get. And that if you don't know Christ, respond to the rescue, man. There's room for you at the cross. So if you don't know what that looks like, man, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Here in a second, we're gonna dismiss everybody out here to go eat lunch and whatnot. But we're gonna have a group of people up here, a response team. And so here in just a second, if, if when everyone dismisses, if you wanna come forward and just say, hey, would you, would you help me learn more? What does this look like? How can I have a starting point in my relationship with Christ? Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to come down. Maybe you're going through a bit of suffering and you just need somebody to pray for you and just say, hey man, would you, would you ask that God would, would intervene on behalf of this situation? We would love to do that. Or, or perhaps you need to go out into the lobby space here in a second when we dismiss and there's a, a booth out there with Love KC shirts that we're gonna rock at the carnival and maybe you need to sign up to serve at that or, or maybe you're trying to take your next steps and go by the next steps desk and if you're, if you're a first timer, we have a gift for you there. We would love just to connect with you and help you navigate your next steps. Whatever you need to do, may you respond accordingly and let us all move in unison from this place not relinquishing Jesus as a mascot to the sideline of our life tomorrow. But may we move from this place declaring that Jesus is King, that he's King over my life in every aspect. And we pray that the King of heaven would invade our lives and that he would call the shots and that he would coach us up so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. Thank you so much for coming to church this morning. You guys are dismissed. You have an incredible week of worship. We'll see you next time.